Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to this special live edition of the Seneca Podcast, coming today from the Yanjing Global Symposium here in Beijing. Let's hear you people make a little noise. All right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I am Kaiser Guo, and I'm delighted to be back in Beijing to host the show. Uh, the Seneca Podcast was, of course, born eight years ago here in Beijing this very month in April of 2010. And in the last two years since we've become a part of Sup China, Jeremy Goldcorn and I feel incredibly blessed that we've been able to turn something that started as just a hobby into a truly fulfilling full-time gig for both of us. And uh, we've just never forgotten our Beijing roots. And though we've both spent, you know, we, we were here for 20 years, my God, uh, we know we know how important it is to spend time here in order to really experience China. Uh, Sub China, as you know, is the best way to keep on top of the latest news from China in just a few minutes a day with that terrific free daily email newsletter that Jeremy edits. And of course, at our website at subchina.com, it's a feast of business, political, and cultural news about a nation that is reshaping the world. I am incredibly grateful that the Engine Global Symposium has arranged for me to chat today with Virginia Tan. Uh, before I introduce Virginia properly, I'm also joined by David Moser, who is, of course, you know, our, our occasional co-host and one of the dearest, oldest friends of, of the podcast. David, man, how are you? Good. Uh, amazing to see you here at uh, my stomping ground. Yeah, because yeah. uh, David, of course, is 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 uh, Associate Dean. Is that right? Is That's that right. Title? Associate Dean uh, here at the Engineering Academy. Uh, he has been in, in Beijing even longer than me and speaks better Chinese than I do. So, uh, And my he, students, uh, most of them are all Seneca heads. Oh, good. Yeah. Or should Let's be. Spread the word. Yeah. yeah. If they're not, then, you know, as I say, bang the head that doesn't bang. Right. <laughs> Uh, like I said, we're, we're very grateful to have Virginia Tan in us, Virgin, with us today. Uh, Virginia is the founder and president of Lean in China, which, of course, is a group that's all about advancing women in China in the workplace. Until a bit over two years ago, she was practicing law and on partner track, but decided instead to devote herself to Lean in and to other causes. Virginia also runs a group called She Loves Tech, uh, which she's going to tell us about more. And she's also starting a venture fund for people doing projects that will positively impact women. Virginia, warm welcome to yeah. Hi, Kleiser. Yeah. So happy to be here today. And of course, Virginia is, uh, we're starting up a long collaboration with Lean In and with Virginia, just uh, in its infancy right now. So we're really glad to have her here. It's really significant. Forget, Virginia, let's start with just some of the basics of the, the, the organization that you had. And let's start with Lean In China. Uh, tell us a uh, Something about your chapters, your membership, the goals, just the basics to, to sort of fill people on. But first, tell us about yourself and how you got involved with this organization. Sure. I think in many ways, uh, Lean in China was, uh, was an accident. Uh, I moved to China in 2013 after 10 years in uh, Europe and the Middle East. Uh, and I, I moved to China to work on One Belt, One Road uh, investments on behalf of uh, Chinese state-owned companies and financial institutions. After I got here, uh, about two months, uh, I met a bunch of girls uh, in a bar, as as, as and they say as that one does. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> as they say, that's how all good things in Beijing actually happen. Uh, and, um, and that's how a lot of accidents happen too. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I leaned in a little too hard. <laughs> And uh, what we started at the time was a, it was a small circle of women, or there were about 10 of us. And we just met uh, once or twice a month to discuss the professional and personal challenges that, that, that we faced at the time. And then what happened was that we started to hold public events. And when we did a simple survey in June 2013, asking Chinese women around us what were the challenges that they faced, um, we realized all these challenges were startlingly similar. Uh, Chinese women were saying that they lacked self-confidence, that they were lacked um, networks and that, that they lacked approachable role models. 
uh, when we started holding public events, hundreds of people would show up and stay for hours. And we realized that there was actually a gap in the market. Um, and no one was actually serving the needs of these, um, you know, women in cities, you know, who were educated and also, um, you know, had professional careers. And so we decided to turn what was then a small circle of women into uh, a social network. Um, today, Lean in China has more than 120 chapters across China, uh, both professional chapters and also college chapters. And we have more than 100,000 members. Wow. In China. Yes, oh, in China. It's really impressive. My God. Mm. How many chapters in China now? Um, about 120. Wow. My God. I mean, this, that's... that's this, this is affiliated or not with the Lean In, the, the mother organization or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that's a great question. I mean, we were very inspired by the book uh, yeah. Lean In when it first came out in 2013. Lean In China is part of the global uh, network, uh, Lean In Network. But in China, uh, we operate and run uh, independently. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I mentioned a couple of the other organizations that you're involved in, including She Loves Tech and uh, your fund. So tell us about maybe She Loves Tech first. What are you guys trying to do right now? And uh, what, what and about this fund that you're doing? Sure. Um, she Loves Tech, you know, 2018 is a really big year for, 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 for us and, and for She Loves Tech in particular. So She Loves Tech came out of a project that we did in 2015. Uh-huh. Um, so a group of volunteers from, you know, the Lehman community in Beijing wanted to do a startup competition for women technology entrepreneurs. We felt that they needed a platform. Uh, we wanted to promote them and we wanted to help them get more funding. Um, and so a group of us, you know, and I was still a full-time lawyer at the time, we decided to hold a competition. What we didn't realize was that in the first year, we would be supported by the Beijing Women's Federation, that um, we were supported by Jun Fun, which is one of China's leading angel funds. Yeah, Anna, Fong, right. uh, Anna, Anna was a judge for us. Yeah. Um, and uh, We were supported by Sinovation Works, which is um, Lee Kai-Fu's um, you know, incubator at the time. Um, and we were also supported by San Xilil, uh, 36KR, which is China's yeah. leading technology media. And CCTV came along and did a half an hour documentary on our work, and we were kind of surprised. The following year, we took the competition to four countries and we helped the, the finals in Silicon Valley. And we had Tim Draper come and judge the finals. And he <laughs> no. put in some of his own money into um, three of the, of the finalist startups. Last year, we took the competition to eight countries. And this year, we are in 12 to 13 countries. Oh, my God. And that, again, in many ways, was an accident. We, had no des- we, we really had no desire or any inkling that this would be bigger than a competition in China. And... Right now, She Loves Tech is the largest uh, competition for women technology entrepreneurs and women impact startups, which use technology um, in the world. So let's let's make sure that we understand this. It, in order to qualify uh, to participate in this, does one or all of the founders have to be women, or can it be something that started by men but has a positive impact for women? Um, absolutely. So there's two criteria. So whether Regardless of your gender, you can be a male or female entrepreneur. But if your startup uses technology to impact women positively, and we have a sort of a matrix of how how, how we measure that, then you can join. Oh, great! Or if you're a women technology entrepreneur using um yeah using tech to solve an issue. You know, I, I just want a side note here. I, I noticed your your accent is distinctly American, but I think you, you've actually not ever spent time studying in the U.S., right? You're from Singapore, but where's the laws and all that stuff? <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, well, if you hear me speaking with my Singaporean friends, then uh, you, you will you definitely know that I am Singaporean. Okay. Uh, I, I think I, I, I thank um, too much watching of Friends. Oh, right, right. Uh, that's that's a good way to learn. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it's a show that's very popular in China. Yeah. You may not have heard of it. <laughs> yeah. And and basically, the fund grew out of uh, She Loves Tech because what we were realizing was that there were lots of really really interesting um, startups which, which which you know which we were unearthing with She Loves Tech, and they weren't what I expected. They weren't fashion or beauty startups. They were actually, you know, they were in AI. Uh, you know, they were in uh, agritech. They were in fintech. Um, they were in space tech. Um, they were in cloud computing. And so I started to put in a little bit of my own money as an angel investor. But then I, I started to realize that to really scale that impact, you know, what we needed was to build, uh, you know, like a fund. Uh-huh. So tell us about the fund. The fund is called? Teja Ventures. Is that T-E-J-A. T-E-J-A. Teja. <laughs> it actually, it's actually Teja. And it's, a, it's the Sanskrit word for, for power. Okay. Yeah. Or, oh, or wow. to empower. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, how much do you guys have under management? Uh, I mean, we're still building it right okay, now. We're right. hoping to raise uh, between twenty to thirty million. So, all you you know, fabulously wealthy LPs that listen to the show, please just uh, make sure to get in <laughs> contact with me. My um, my fee is very low, so just, uh, 
<laughs> so I, Virginia, I, I read Lean In not long after it was first published. I love the book. Um, there have been some critics, critics though, of the book who have suggested that it's really too focused on executive feminism, uh, that it's a book for women who are already pretty damn successful, who come from privilege, who, you know, are mostly college educated, uh, and, you know, who, yeah, of course, they're going to face sexism, discrimination, um, probably have a lot of, you know, very pressing needs. And she got criticism, though, also that in, in her approach, she sort of ignores a lot of structural issues of, of, of sexism and focuses instead on sort of the obstacles in a woman's own mind. Um, that was that was a pretty common critique of it. Uh, how, how do you feel about that? And do you feel like um, maybe the, the sorts of of, of uh Issues that you confront here in China are different. Maybe there are more of the structural type problems. And and how's your groups responding to this? I love the question. I mean, we have faced some criticism, you know, from from some media saying that, uh, you know, we are focusing on uh, urban and professional women, you know, mostly, you know, um, college educated. Um, so, 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 so these are my thoughts on it. Something which really inspired me in the early days of Lean in China before it became what it is today was that I noticed that um, what we were building, the communities that we were building here in China had had a very um, sort of, um, what was the word, a, a more grassroots kind of feel. Right. You know, it, it, it didn't feel like corporate America or corporate China in this case. I, I think the people who really inspired me to build, this, uh, build the organization up were actually young women who were coming to us because they saw the community or, or, or the concept of leaning in as something that was, you know, a philosophy that could guide their life. Uh-huh. And a lot of them were, were very young. You know, they, they captured their imagination. They were in college level. They were in high school. and Or they had just entered the workforce. They weren't the sort of, you know, they, they weren't high-level corporates, you know, at least, at, least at, at, at the beginning. I think, however, over the years, you know, because of a lot of the work that we've done, when we first started... The, to build the community, we just wanted to build a social network because we realized that when women are, are together, having a, a strong support network is actually a way of helping them to overcome many obstacles, uh, so-called internal obstacles, so to speak, you know, fear. Uh, you know, we talked about the pressures of, of getting married, you know, being left over, you know, not having enough confidence to go for the next role, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We, we, we realized that when, when you put them together, you know, that mutual encouragement and support actually, though intangible, actually could go a long way. However, with the, la- the work that we've done in the last five years, including the white paper on women, work, and happiness, we started to realize that some of those issues cannot be combated by women alone, the so-called yeah, yeah, structural. Make, talk about that, that white paper. I mean, where can we download it and, and uh, where, where can we re- read that paper? Sure. Um, you can download the paper um, at www.leaninchina.com.cn. It's on, our, it's on our front page. It's an English and Chinese version. And oh, we worked with Deloitte this year to publish it. It's called The Impact of Women in the Workplace in a Digital Age. And it talks about some of the challenges, but I think it also talks about leadership attributes of both men and women, and it talks about the ambition gap and why, and it talks about what companies can actually do to sort of help women um, advance in the workplace. And it's actually based on a lot of research that you did, a lot of presumably uh, questionnaires that you handed out, survey research. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're really proud of, of that work. I mean, um, we, we handed out, we had about 3,000 respondents, wow. uh, f- uh, 43% were men. It was our first uh, questionnaire, which actually included men. And we had about 30 to 40 Chinese companies, uh, companies in China actually participate, including some of the biggest Chinese companies. So we're incredibly proud of that. And I think, you know, for us, we really believe in research and data because it's your way of keeping a pulse on your community, understanding those needs. So back to the structural issues that we were talking about. So, you know, at the beginning, you know, we, we, we focus on what we call the internal revolution. How can women help themselves, you know, to sort of to lean in more? How can we help each other? And then, uh, you know, as, as time passed, we wanted to sort of understand, you know, what they were facing, you know, as, as a society. And what really shocked me the first year we did the white paper in 2016 was that when we asked women what were their biggest obstacles at work were, the top three challenges all had to do with the home. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And 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 that that didn't shock other people. So it would have been childcare. It would have been number oh. one. Number one was work life balance. Number two was maternity and the disruption that causes to to career. And the third right. one was um, having to undertake more household responsibilities and support their uh, other halves. Lack of competence was right at the bottom. Lack of confidence was somewhere in the middle. And number four was lack of networks. And number fifth, then we talked about discrimination. So mm. that was a, re- a big eye-opener for me. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's actually really surprising to me to hear that. Interesting. I want to talk about the composition of the group 
Um, I think maybe it's a function of the fact that I tended to run with a lot of ex expat circles, even though I worked for a big Chinese company for many years. When I first started hearing about your group, it was usually from expatriate women, from women from other parts of greater China. Uh, you yourself are, are from Singapore. Uh, has that composition changed over the years? And what's it like right now? Are there more people from China? Great question. When we first started, um, the, the 10 of us who sort of started that first sort of um, circle, uh, we were half-half. We were, uh, half of us were foreign and half of us were, were local. However, I think uh, it's been five years. This year is our fifth year anniversary, actually. Um, I would say that I am probably the only foreigner um, who, who is actually still in the organization or in the community. We made a very, very distinct and deliberate decision a couple years back that we would be heavily localized. And that's because... If you're not, then how can you serve the people um, exactly. in your community? Right, right. And 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 also because um, please please don't get me wrong, there there are many amazing expatriate women. I, I know a lot of them, and I work with a lot of them here in China. There are some amazing expatriate networks. We work very closely with them. But I felt that this social network needed to be for Chinese women. We needed to serve them, and 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 that's also why when we choose partners, you know, we work with um, government-linked institutions, academic institutions, you know, such such, such as Beida and Chinese companies. That's terrific. And and all our events are in Chinese. Oh, right, right. I was going to ask. Yeah, they're all in Chinese. So having said that, do you get a lot of the so-called haigui, the re re professionals from overseas, who maybe are used to working in a, in a foreign environment, <clears throat> and they come to China and face maybe different problems? Do you have the, the haigui issues? I, I mean, we get we get some haigui, um, mm -hmm. especially in the cities which are more international, like Beijing and, and Shanghai. And, and and obviously, you know, in a way, they're, they're more exposed. You know, they they understand the nuances between East and West. They have different challenges, but also Haigui are also in in hot demand in China. Uh -huh. You know, they they're on top of every every recruiters, uh, every employer's like recruitment list. So, uh, you know, in a way, they ha they have that advantage. A, a lot of our communities are are young uh, women, or or I would say um, I would say between the ages of eighteen to thirty five, and and a, a lot of them actually uh, never left China. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have the same sort of problems that we have in the West? Uh, you mentioned the white paper, but I wonder if there are other things like e equal pay, sexual harassment, the glass ceiling, or I don't know what you call it, the bamboo yeah, did, did ceiling. These things here. rate on the. I mean, I didn't hear them mentioned even on the uh, the list of, of things you just talked about. Yeah. Uh, so 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 we do we we did have a, a question. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so we asked people what your challenges are. We asked them to rank them, um, and we had gender discrimination and and very. Uh, you know, encouragingly, uh, gender discrimination was one of the lowest. Um, they actually, but but you see, they they actually ranked women actually ranked it the third lowest from the bottom. And then we asked them, what does gender discrimination mean to you? And and this is where I think the cultural nuance actually is important. So when we asked them, what does gender discrimination mean to you? The number one topic, the number the, the, the number one. Um, I'm gonna guess thing equal pay, right? Well, yeah, was right. pay. Right. So, you know what what. What uh, what my community is telling me is that to them it's all about very practical benefits. Huh. You know? That famous Chinese pragmatism <laughs> at work again. But I thought Chairman Mao solved this with <laughs> holding up half. The, what happened? <laughs> You're joking, right? We're not. It's not a serious <laughs> question. <laughs> but, I, I, but I do have a serious question though, uh, which is related to that. I found often that women don't like. To, to talk about uh, you know gender discrimination specifically because a lot of women I, I meet here who say will, will meet the textbook definition for feminism. They believe in equal pay for equal work. They believe in equal representation under law. They, they believe in uh, that women should enjoy the exact same uh, privileges and dignities that, that men do, but they run away from the word feminism. They don't like the word feminism. I mean, in Chinese, that, that word is, is in yu and Perhaps it's because of that. I mean, what connotations does the word feminism have in Chinese? And, and why are so many women in China who, by my light, certainly qualify as feminists, afraid of that word? But Kaiser, before you go on, uh, that's, that's the case in the United States to a great extent. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, a year ago, the, true. the same yeah. thing. The women had a, a sort of a instinctive uh, well, well, know, Trump voting reticence to use <laughs> the word feminist, feminist. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, I, I think fem feminism has been given a bad name um, all across the world. Um, actually, I was actually t telling Kaiser yesterday that um, 2018 is the centenary of actually women uh, first gaining the right to vote 
in England. And right. so um, being the nerd that I am, I, I bought this like huge book, <clears throat> hundreds of pages long, um, talking about the very early struggle. Um, the suffragettes. Yeah, the, right. the suffragettes actually in the, in, in the United Kingdom where I spent uh, many, many years of my life. And at the time for them to be heard, um, these early suffragettes or these early feminists, you know, had to take quite extreme measures. And so in many ways, even though to me, feminism actually means, um, you know, the belief in equal rights and opportunities for, for women and for men, um, which to me is a very objective thing. I think feminism has, you know, or, or that word, you know, it has been hijacked by popular culture. So a lot of times people associate feminism uh, with the hating of men, which, which it is not what it is about. And people associate feminism with militancy, which is what it was, in, you know, which was what it was associated with in the early years. Because um, for women to gain the right to vote, they tried to ask nicely, and it didn't work. Yeah, that never works. <laughs> yeah, and and anyway, so 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 going back to that, um, it, it's really interesting about the Chinese word. Um, you know, I, I I spoke about how powerful women in the past in China were called "女强人" or "女汉子." Uh-huh. And and you know, you know, being 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 not local Chinese, when I first heard the word new hands, I was really excited. I was like, oh my gosh, they have a they have a word for female hero. And then after that, <laughs> I was told by my friends, like, oh, actually, this is not a you know necessarily a very uh, you know it has some negative connotations. And I think new chenzhui, um, because of the you know the history of what feminism was associated with, also has that that slightly negative connotation. Uh, you know, talking you know it, people associate it with militancy as opposed to the fact. That, that it just means that, you know, you believe in, in equal rights and opportunities. And, that, and I think that's why people are reluctant to use that. But to me, it's not about what you call something. It's about what you do. Yeah. Right, right, right. The suffragettes, it's 100 years now. That's great. Didn't David Bowie have a song about lean in with suffragettes? Like, don't <laughs> yeah. lean in me, ma'am, or something like that. No. <laughs> You can't afford the ticket. Interesting, they can't avoid the suffragettes. I, I actually think that as modern young women 100 years on, um, and even even I, who you know, who who who's supposed to know a lot about this topic, I don't think we actually know the extent of the sacrifices that women hundred years ago had to make for us to have the rights that we have today, and that's why I wanted to read, you know, that few hundred page book. Yeah, yeah. So um, one of the things uh, I'm sort of want to make a comparison with the with the outside world again. Uh, I've seen on a lot of TV shows recently a lot of Chinese women who have traveled overseas uh, to to India, for example, or third world countries, underdeveloping countries, will say, "Wow, we really have it great here in China. So we, the role of women here is so much better than in India and some other places." But what about uh, areas in which in North America or Western in Europe, Western Europe uh, that where China is perhaps uh, doing better in the terms of of rights for women, equal rights for women? Uh, or some areas that are lagging that you think that uh, from the, from what you hear that need, they need to catch up. Uh, you mean uh, like the West needs to catch up? Or no, no, yeah, we're, we're China, China. 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 Well, yeah, it's sort of a, 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 a pros and cons. Or I mean, there are probably some areas where China is probably doing better. Right. I think I think in for example, board seats and and well, women and uh, women and entrepreneurship. Uh, yeah, women are doing quite well. We have an example supposedly, right here right, right. where it, supposedly, but whereas in the West, not so well. But Maybe start, but there. certainly not in leadership, right? right. So, so I think um, I mean this is the question that that we ponder about every day. I'm asked about it all, all the time. So I think, for example, um, so so let's take China and India first, right? So you can say that India had a female prime minister, right? Indira um, Gandhi, Indira Gandhi a very powerful prime minister, and China has not had a female prime a, a minister. A second one too, actually. Sonia Gandhi was briefly also <laughs> well considered, right? Um, and, and and China obviously hasn't had a female president yet, but. Just because one person reaches the top doesn't necessarily mean that you know it, it's it's fine for, for for all the rest of us. So I, I think I think in terms of economic empowerment, um, and you know we did a lot of research on this for our white paper. Um, I think a lot of you know a lot of people are very aware that um, Chinese women contribute about forty one percent of uh, national GDP. Um, you know that's that is is the highest rate in the world uh, in terms of, of regions. I think together with Eastern Europe and Central Asia, um, uh, you know, in terms of labor force participation, uh, you know, China has one of the highest rates in the world as well. And also, very interestingly, something I, I did not know until recently that um, I think according to the 2010 census by the All China Women's Federation, 72 percent of work, of mothers in China work. And I was in Switzerland recently, which is a very rich country, and that number in Switzerland is fifteen percent. <laughs> wow! 
Okay, just just a, just an example. Um, so, so 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 let me start start with the pros first. Um, so so I so I so, so I think that that's that's one thing. There's a lot of talk about you know um, you know entrepreneurship these days. You know um, I think China's hugely encouraging uh, people to to, to you know to uh, you know, create more, uh, you know, to, you know to, to, to build businesses, you know, to create more economic value. Um, Chinese, uh, well, according to the Hurun Rich List, at least, um, 80% of uh, female self-made billionaires in the world are from China. Wow, yeah. Uh, which is, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah which is interesting. Um, and, 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 and obviously, you see all kinds of, you know, um, emerging, you know, female business leaders in China and also very established ones. And I think that sets, you know, in many ways, like, uh, you know, it's, it's like a role model, um, you know, for, 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 for younger women. Whereas I feel like in other countries, not just the West, you know, um, some, sometimes these role models or these leaders are sort of less sort of visible. Huh. And so therefore, um, yeah, you know, um, you know I, I, think, I think people look to China in that way. I think in, in terms of absolute numbers, um, I think in, board, in terms of board representation, China, I think, hovers at around 9%, which, which, which I think is one of the highest in the Asia-Pacific, but not the highest. Um, at senior management level, if you look at, I mean, I think senior management levels from director and above, not uh-huh. just C-suite, I think China does pretty well. I think it's something like 30, the 30, 30 plus percent. And I think in, in the U.S., something like, like, like 20 plus percent. Um, if you're looking at CEO level, then China's still, I think, um, not, I mean, lags. It, yeah. it still yeah. lags or, or just a little bit behind the West, maybe like four point something percent. I think in, in the US, something four point or five, five something That's percent. So depressing. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I, and I, and I think that, um, one of the, the statistics which I find really interesting is that when I speak to foreign companies in China and I ask them about their levels of senior women leadership, um, they actually, <laughs> most of them that the ones that I know, and these are really big companies actually say that, the level of senior women representation in China is the highest for any region in the world. Uh, for their particular company. For that particular company, compared to you know a- any other. These are, and these are, a lot of these are the big American um, you know multinationals. So that's that's also very interesting for me because I'm I'm looking at data all the time. Now, but but looking but so so I think from in the economic empowerment piece, I think there is a lot of um, you know I can say that in many ways China is is is, is a model and it's very very inspiring. And and I think in many ways I think Chinese women you know are the reason for us trying to build up this organization you know they what they've done has, has inspired me. Hmm. However, I think you know we discussed you know on the panel just now why China actually still sits on 99th you know position on the World Economic Forum's gender gap report, and I think the two reasons being um, or the three reasons actually being cited for that was number one uh, the wage gap. Um, is actually increasing, not decreasing. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's shocking. Yeah. So, so um, according to, 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 to data, I think urban women are earning 60 plus percent or less than 70 percent of what men are earning. Oh, God. Um, so, and, and, you know, that was also corroborated by a survey saying that they thought, you know, the pay gap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's much bigger than I had anticipated. I mean, sixty percent, only sixty percent, about sixty-seven. Okay, that's 67 okay, still, so, that's only yeah. two thirds. Yeah. Right. So, and, and and that's actually increasing. What is it in the U.S.? It's like seventy-eight cents on something like that. I think it depends on whether it's women of color or women, or white women. Okay. I, I think it's it, it goes down. I think it's different for Hispanics, different for blacks, and uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, is that partly related to the fact that the women are less are more liable to discrimination on the basis of mater- you know maternity leave and you know issues like that at the outset there's yeah, contractual probably, yeah. recommend you know uh, guarantees for them i think a couple of reasons one is you know i think you know um people say maternity causes disruption um yeah. and if the majority of men are in leadership then obviously they're earning more um but i also think and and i also experienced this myself um uh when i was a lawyer not discrimination but i found out actually when i was a lawyer that I was actually being paid less than one of my male colleagues who we were more or less the same level. And he was my really good friend. So he just, we just comparing one day we realized that. But what I realized was that they did not pay me less because they're discriminating against um, uh, women. They paid me less because I didn't fight as hard when I negotiated my salary. And when this I, is straight out of Sheryl Sandberg, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I mean, this is really interesting because I, I never thought about it. You know, we were, I, I didn't know I had that much bargaining power, but he just pushed and pushed and pushed until they gave him everything he wanted, and I pushed once and I didn't push again after that when I got what I wanted the first time. So, and and he made me realize, you know, because we were both equally well regarded, we were both doing well, and 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 that's why I talked about the internal revolution, right? Because people, I think women need to understand or at least believe that they can have that negotiation, whether it's with the home 
or within the within the workplace. And I think people are now just starting to understand that, hey, actually, this is an individual negotiation I can have with my husband, that maybe he can look after the kids sometimes. Mm. Whereas before, they were uncomfortable or unwilling to have that conversation. But, you know, a pushy man, a man who, who stands his ground and negotiates for it is, is suddenly is, is regarded as, uh, as, you know, that's that's fine. You know, that's 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 like living up to our ideal of masculinity. But when a woman does it, suddenly she's pushy. She's aggressive. She's it's yeah. There's Hillary a lot of, Clinton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's really too bad. Uh, I, I had a question for you, which is, are there issues that women face in the workplace in China that perhaps aren't? commonly talked about in in other countries for example i mean we pay a lot of attention in china i mean partially because uh, it's 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 been the subject of a couple of very prominent books on on gender in china on so-called leftover women right on the idea that the, the social pressure to marry right and marry by a certain age is this first of all is this something that is indeed particular to china or more more of a, of a problem in china and secondly, is this uh, something that you think is a major factor in uh, things like we've, t- we've talked about, like the, the wage gap? Um, f- first of all, um, I think in China we have the term leftover, but the phenomenon or the concept of that is not unique to China, except that we call it different things in different places. So uh, I was just saying that in Japan we call it Christmas cake. Christmas uh, cake. <laughs> so basically, you know, it, it goes bad after after the twenty fifth, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So, so after twenty five, you're after. Yeah, and 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 then in, in the West, you call it spinster. In you know, in other places, you don't have a term, but you just say you know, women is left on the shelf. And so, you know, I think I think the concept is there that no matter how successful you are, but if you don't get married, then you've somehow failed in some way, or if you don't have children, you have failed in some way. So I I, I don't think that um, the leftover phenomenon is just a Chinese thing. I think it's a global thing and we need to we need to be honest about it. I think that's number one. Um, but number two, I think the one big difference between China and I would say the West, not the East, because the East is also very much like that, is that, you know, in the West, there's a very clear boundary between private and professional life. Right. You, your boss would never dare to even ask you that pregnancy plans questions. Or, like, right, no, right, no way. Right, right. Whereas I think, you know, in, in, in China, you know, like we don't have necessarily have that as a culture or in Asia, we don't have that, those kinds of boundaries. Like the first time I remember a very senior client of mine wanted to add me on WeChat. This is like within the first few months of, of, of me coming here. And I was, I was a guest. I was like, how can he add me on WeChat? You know, you wouldn't add your client on Facebook, right? Would it? And, and then after a while, I realized that everybody just does that because, you know, right. that's just the way. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no separation, you know, between work and life. And, 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 and there were times when my clients used to, you know, um, nudge me gently saying, Hey, you know, are you thinking of, um, uh, getting married soon? You know, you know, they, they'd be very nice. They're like, how being a mother is actually, you know, it's a great thing. I was like, yeah, I agree, but I need to get married first. And then I was, and then I'd ask them, why are you guys, why do you want me to get married? Don't you like I'm I'm negotiating for you? Don't you like Don't you want me to work harder? <laughs> right. But 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 you know. But I, I I wasn't offended. Um, I think in the West someone might be offended, but but I wasn't offended because I I understand that's part of um you know a culture which is a lot more um you know in a way uh more personal, less 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 formal. But the one thing that I do have anecdotally, and some of our data um actually shows that is that our, our data in our report and also in other reports show that women say that they face more discrimination actually before they get married and before they have children versus huh. after they have children. And the reason for that is that I think employers are all expecting women to to, to, to bear children at a certain age. And so that's the time when the women face the most discrimination. But once once they have the child, and in, in, in the past you had, you know, you're only allowed to have one child anyway. So and, and, and so women who are married Okay, that's over now. They're done with that. Now we can take you more seriously that you're back <laughs> really with us in the workforce. Right? No, I, I, I mean, I mean, I think, I think very anecdotally what I, what I was hearing was just more that if you were of childbearing age, then <clears throat> sometimes it was harder to get into certain industries. Huh. Like, especially right. like really high pressure industries. Right, right, but, right. But that's what I've, what I've, what I've, what I've heard a lot anecdotally. Yeah. You know, I, I had a conversation on this podcast not too long ago with Leda Hung Fincher, who's a very prominent feminist scholar. Uh, I, I brought up something that my boss at Baidu had said. I work for, for Jennifer Lee, who has done a lot of speaking. I mean, I think she actually spoke to your organization before. She's amazing. Uh, she's, yeah, she's a totally amazing woman. But she, she brought something to my attention that I hadn't really thought of before. And that was that in China for, for a long time, workforce participation for women, women was mandatory. Women had to work. And that 
in, a, in an age where it wasn't really until really the 90s and the 2000s that we started seeing women be able to opt out of the workforce and that this was actually a sign of agency, a sign of, of, of you know, uh, exercising a right that you were actually opting out. Um, it was, a, it, it was a, it really, I mean, something so obvious that I should have been able to, you know, to come up with on my own. It was really only when she said that that I re- really thought about that. So uh, talk about that. I mean, the fact that, that workforce participation was always mandatory previously and that now it's not how that changes complicates the dynamic. I think when we talk about leaning in, a lot of people expect me to say, that leaning in means becoming like the CEO of a listed company tomorrow, becoming the leader of your country, et cetera, et cetera. You know, in, in that book, leaning in for me would have been to become a partner, which is what I was on track to do. But but I realized for me, leaning in meant, um, you know, literally to do what I was terrified of, which was to become a social entrepreneur, do something I'd never done before in a place like China where, you know, I, I, I wasn't um, uh, native. And so... On that note, I think that the key word for women in this century is actually about choice. Mm. It's about freedom of choice to live life on the terms that you choose. It's not, I think, for me or for any organization or any book to actually tell women what they should do and when they should do it. Um, and also, you know, the other thing which is, which is really interesting is that leaning in, Cheryl used to tell me, like, you know, leaning in doesn't mean you lean in every second of your life. You know, you might uh, want to lean in now and then take a break and then have to lean in again. Oh, so you actually know her? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay, yes, okay. Yes, well, yes. I thought you meant figurative, like Cheryl like Cheryl speaking to me through the pages of her book. No, <laughs> no, no, no. We, 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 we've met quite a few times. She, 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 she's, uh, she's awesome. Um, and, and, and so I think, um, you know, we are pretty open as a, as, as a community. We don't say, okay, you, you know, you have to be a senior exec. You know, if you're a stay-at-home mom, don't come and join our community. That, 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 that's, that, that's not that. Um, I, you know, for me, um, I just think that a woman should have the choice to do what she chooses. So, for example, if she has children, she wants to go back to work. Um, and she wants to excel and become a leader, she should be allowed to. If she decides to sort of take a break and step back a little bit, she should be allowed to. For me, the question is not about what choice you make, but the why you choose to. Right. My problem was that if you genuinely didn't want to go all the way to the top because that's just what you wanted, no one, you know, and you had all the support, and, and I mean, that's just your choice, and that's fine with me. But what I was realizing was that a lot of people didn't feel like they had a choice. Right. They didn't want to rise up because they felt, okay, people, maybe people won't like me, right? It's just the bias, you know, society's preference of senior leaders. Or maybe is that, okay, um, um, you know, I don't have a choice because no one's going to look after my children, right? Because you don't have affordable childcare, like in a place like Switzerland, for example, right? Um, or, or is, in the case, it's because um, my husband, you know, doesn't support me. Um, and, and, and I think it's in the cases like that whereby we have to support women, you know, to, to sort of, you know, pursue you know their 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 goals and ambitions or else to me it's just just a lot of wasted potential but i think that's a decision for each woman to make and a negotiation for each for for each woman to have and for her to 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 know that she she has that power uh would you like to name names here uh are there any let's leave out uh multinational corporations that might have western leadership and ceos but any chinese companies that you that are exemplary examples. Oh, oh, name names in the good sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure names. you're more comfortable doing that than no, no, calling no, out name, the bad ones. So. You're right. You have no, name names great, great is usually question, yeah. a pejorative. But yeah, no, name names. Are there some companies that create a, a, an environment that's conducive to women's choice, as you said? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we work uh, with quite a few Chinese companies, and, and two of them that we work with are C-Trip. And, C-Trip. And, 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 no, I feel good about using them Yeah, the time. who would have thunk it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, C-Trip and, and Didi. Uh, oh, Didi, you know, too. Are, are two that, right. that, wow. that, that we work with. So um, They treat their women well, but their drivers like crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, they're trying to improve. Um, a big priority for them is to improve driver welfare. Okay. Yeah. Good, good, good. Um, I like more women drivers. I, I always feel safer and better with a woman woman at the wheel. I don't know. It's like mom <laughs> Cause, is stuff Because they don't drive like maniacs. Don't that's drive why. Like that's right. why. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's, that's the problem here is that it's, it's not... Yeah, people are too aggressive when they drive. I, I, I totally agree. I would feel better too. For I think for for those who who, who may not be familiar with Chinese with China's technology companies, um, C Trip is uh, China's largest online travel agency, and DD is um, China's ride sharing um, giant who, who who bought out uh, swallowed Uber, Uber right. here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and I think um, you know C Trip, all of their C suite is actually female. 
uh, wow. which, which wow. was actually, well, not a lot of people don't actually know that. Um, but, but that's not just the reason. I think C-Trip was also very, because of their founder, who, who is, who's a man, um, one of their founders, James, you know, um, you know, very inspired by, by some of the work that C-Trip has done in the field, you know, um, sort of, uh, you know, putting, uh, uh, kindergartens, um, um, at work, um, you know, pioneering, uh, remote working because it shows, you know, increased benefits like productivity benefits. I mean, there's actually a lot of literature on this online. Yeah. Uh, look at their experiments together with Stanford and, and supporting workers to have, um, you know, uh, uh, happier families. Mm-hmm. And then for Didi in the last couple of years, you know, they, one of the first, um, sort of, uh, especially in terms of emerging companies to launch a women's network, something which is fairly common in big, multinationals um and and you know they're actually very serious uh, about this they have someone uh, you know a team dedicated to that um every time they have events it's not just like a women's society you know social club but the ceo um chong wei and um the president liu ching actually personally show up and stay you know and and, and talk they have um they they encourage working mothers to work one day from home they have leadership programs to identify female talent and and for me this is really um you know an an, an economic game you know yeah, this shouldn't be seen that's as marvelous. a woman's issue that's really great yeah, yeah. i i do feel better about booking all my flying now through sea trip <laughs> yeah I, I, we mentioned Leda Hong Fincher just a little bit ago. Uh, she's published a book, of course, about leftover women, this phenomenon. And one of the things she does in this book is she sort of lays the, the blame on uh, the Women's Federation, what used to be called the All-China Federation of Women. Uh, but you mentioned them as as an early supporter and a partner of you. First of all, what do you think of this claim that, that uh, the All-China Federation or the Women's Federation pushed this idea of leftover women uh, and you know, maybe should be called out for it? And then tell us about the cooperation that you've had with them and with other maybe governmental agencies. Sure. I mean, I don't have um, the facts around that, but I think that um, to blame an agency <clears throat> for a, a concept which is actually global and has been with us throughout the, all the of the ages is quite simplistic. I, as what I said yesterday, Kaiser, um, the All China Women's Federation, um, you know, in different parts of the country and. Um, and, and some of the foundations under them were actually some of the first in China to support our work, our work around uh, women, economic empowerment and entrepreneurship, our work on women's leadership, especially in the universities, um, and, 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 and even on the data piece. Um, for example, to have accurate data, you need to ensure you have data from state-owned companies. And sometimes, you know, that's hard for us to obtain. So they help us. They are also instrumental in ensuring that, uh, you know, sometimes inviting state media to interview us so that our viewpoints and so, and the data that, that we're actually working on has a, has, has a broader or, or a more official audience, so to speak. They've helped us with partners and speakers and, 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 and funding and things like that. And so I, I actually think that in a, in, a, in a place like China and actually in any place in the world where you're doing women's empowerment work, first of all, women's empowerment doesn't exist in a vacuum. Women's empowerment is part of the macroeconomic picture. And, you know, when when I invited, you know, the head of UN Women in China to speak at my press conference when we released the the, the white paper in on Women's Day this year, she said that without women's economic participation in China, it was it, it is almost nearly impossible for China to have um, achieved the double-digit growth that it did yearly in the 90s it's just impossible um so you know know, that's one thing no country honestly no no country is perfect so there's you know a lot more that we can do that that we that that we can do better um but i think that the fact that this country has an entire agency and a huge grassroots organization uh, you know dedicated to just women and funded almost total completely by the state is actually something that, that we should pay attention to. You know, any any in any place in the world, if you want to do women's empowerment work, I, I always think it's key to engage with local players, whether it's companies, academic institutions, or government-linked institutions, because that's the way you can really scale your work um, sustainably. And also, I think it's really key to have deep local knowledge of what works, what doesn't, what the community needs. Absolutely, and it sounds like you're, you're really putting all those all those pieces together. It's great. Yeah, uh, maybe running question? out. Of, yeah, yeah, running out of time here. But let me put one last question in here: the Me Too phenomenon. It seems like there's been some pretty uh, public cases recently in academia and educational institutions. Uh, it's got some big scandals, actually. Not so much in the workplace, right? There hasn't that hasn't really spread to that area, or has it? What's the situation with Me Too in the Chinese workplace? I think that's a, that's a great question. I I mean I don't actually have the data 
on on that in China. You know, that's something potentially you know an area where where we could look into. Well, anecdotally, it's, maybe. I mean, I mean, I mean, this is anecdotally. What, I have it back from the 1980s. People, <laughs> women, told me all the time. I just assume it was an ongoing thing. I, no, I think I, it is. Yeah. That's that's the thing. I think sexual harassment, as as we all know, is not about sex. I think sexual harassment power, is right. always about power. Yeah, yeah. Just like violence is always about power. Any place in the world where you have imbalance of power, I I assume that you will have sexual harassment, violence, etc. So I anecdotally <clears throat> I do know of of sort of some some cases, but. The actual data on how prevalent it is, I, I don't have, and it's something like I said, you know, we, you know, we could probably look look into. Um, I think that uh, you know, Me Too, obviously, you know, has sort of taken the world, you know, because I think it's taken over the, I mean, taken the world by surprise, but just because of how commonplace it is. You used to think that sexual harassment, you know, in a way, was just something which happened to somebody else. Right. Yeah. Right. Virginia Tan, it is such a pleasure. I mean, we're so delighted to be able to have this important conversation with you about somebody so knowledgeable and doing such great work. Uh, so let, let's hear a warm round of applause for, for Virginia and the work she's doing. Yeah, I, I've definitely learned a ton from my conversations with Virginia, and I look forward to seeing you actually at our women's conference in uh, in May, right? Yep. I hope you'll be Excited there. Excited yeah, for that. Very, very cool. Now, before we pack up, let's make some recommendations as we do each week. Uh, before we do, I want to remind our listeners that the Cynical Podcast is powered by SupChina. Sign up for our free weekly email newsletter. Become an Access member for all sorts of great bonus stuff, including early ad-free releases of the Cynical Podcast and, of course, Make sure to go leave Seneca a positive review on the Apple iTunes store. It really helps people to discover this podcast, which is something more important than ever as the U.S. and China drift toward the proverbial rocks. Now, on to recommendations. Uh, David, why don't you start, and then we'll go to Virginia. Okay, I'm, I'm Jeremy, I guess. Today. Right, you get to be Jeremy this week. Uh, I have a couple of recommendations. First is a sort of a podcast, a new podcast that's in its infancy, but has already made great strides by one of our Yanjing scholars uh, that's sitting right over here, Jordan Schneider. And then all right, Jordan. The, the name of the podcast is China Econ Talk. It's all of, uh, revolves around economic issues in China. And he's already managed to snare a lot of really heavy hitting guests like uh, Scott Kennedy and yeah, others. Yeah, I can't yeah. And it's a it's on iTunes and it's worth a listen. It's, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's someone, one of our scholars is already out there in the world doing things, uh, podcasts, if podcasts are useful nowadays. No, I don't know no, if they are they, or not. Don't bother. Yeah. <laughs> but assuming they are, he's, he's doing something right, good yeah. with his life. Right. The, other the other recommendation is the Peking University campus. And the reason I say that is that uh, we are about coming up on the 120th anniversary of Peking University, which is going to be on May 4th, which is not really the anniversary, but May 4th, of course. Right. And if you walk around here, you'll notice there's all sorts of buildings that are being uh, uh, renovated and added onto and repainted. And uh, the Peking University campus is really one of the big tourist spots, in fact, of, of Beijing. If you go out to the West Gate, the West Gate is the most photographed campus gate in China, if not the world. You go out there at 5 in the morning, noon, 10 o'clock at night. There are tourists there snapping photos of Chairman Mao's calligraphy there. Right. And um, then people, there's tour groups that go around the campus. And it is a beautiful, beautiful campus. And, uh, and it's, I've been, I came here in the 80s. It was beautiful then. And it's, it's just getting more and more beautiful, even with the addition of new buildings. So if you're in Beijing and you're looking for a place to go to beautiful scenery, come to the Beijing University campus. It is, it is of course, the guard campus. won't let you in, but... Uh, do your, do your best. What I find I do is I just sort of pretend to be on the phone and speaking English really loudly, and then I just walk by the guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, say, they say, you say Lao Shi or Jiao Shou or something, they, they let you in. Right? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Virginia, what do you have for us? Great recommendations, David. I have a couple of recommendations. Um, uh, the first one uh, is one of my favorite books. I'm a complete and total nerd, actually. Um, and that book is David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Hmm. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell is one of my favorite writers. Uh, he makes us think about, about the world around us. But David and Goliath is interesting. Um, it, it, you know, it takes after the biblical story of David, uh, the, the tiny shepherd um, who, who defeats Goliath, who's the giant. But most of us think of David and Goliath as that David defeated Goliath in spite of the fact that he was so small. But what Malcolm Gladwell tells us to think is um, actually David defeated Goliath precisely because he was so small. 
and because he was so and agile. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I did. He used a sling. And I and 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 I think that I think that's a great lesson for us because um, you know, what is the strength is actually can be a weakness and what is your weakness can actually become your strength. And I take that lesson with me, I think, um, when it comes to women's work, because what is actually a problem I see as an opportunity. Um, and, uh, you know, s- same with what, you know, now that we move into sort of uh, the fund that I'm building with gender lens, um, people see, okay, the lack of women in tech, you know, as, as, as an issue, but I see that as, um, what I call an arbitrage opportunity. The second, uh, the second thing I would want to recommend is a, an app called uh, Ichi. You know, this is again, you know, one, one of the kinds of things that I'm looking at, you know, to invest in with my fund. Um, it is a, a social app. It's just reached number seven in terms of social apps in China. I just reached its hundred thousand download. It uses AI and voice technology to um, instead of Tinder, you know, just seeing oh a guy or who's kind of hot. <laughs> it actually analyzes your voice and matches you up with um, somebody, you know, whereby where you have, you know, if, if it, it analyzes your emotions and then matches you up according to how compatible you are. So, so, so I think that's actually quite cool. Huh. <laughs> like what, what I'm investing in. I'm gonna have in. to try this. Yeah. I've got yeah. this this radio voice. Yeah. Right, so. it's, it's called it's called it's called ET. I mean, the, the, the technology. You know, we believe that the voice is really the next uh, the next generation of, of of technology. And really interestingly, you know, ET actually has, unlike most social apps, you know, two thirds um, of uh, you know of, of women users. So that's the kind of uh, you know companies that I'm actually looking for. It's not just whether the founder is male or female, but actually you know. Can this give you? Can 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 this give the majority of its users, like women in this case, you know, a positive uh, experience, po- you know, a positive impact because they seem to like it. Let's download this and try it this afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and the final recommendation, um, you know, for more information on our white paper, women work in happiness, please go to www.leaninchina.com.cn. Great, 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 great. Malcolm Gladwell, EC, and of course your white paper. I am going to recommend, I'm going to re-up an old recommendation of mine. I think it's, it's time to do this. Uh, that's for the Romance of the Three Kingdoms podcast by John Drew. John lives uh, near me in North Carolina. He works at Duke University. He, he's been doing this vernacular English retelling of the classic Chinese novel, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, my favorite book in the whole world. And, uh, Selfishly, I, I want to re- recommend it right now because I just did my second guest reading of uh. episode 150. He's actually nearing the end of this tremendous saga. If you, I really envy people who haven't started on it because you have this whole book to look forward to. It's just this is like the fourth time you've recommended. No, this no, no, no. <laughs> it's not the fourth time. It's it's only the second. Oh, okay. Uh, we have had John on the on the show, but I did a guest reading of episode 150, which is when one of my favorite characters from the last part of the book dies and so it's it's very sad but um it's just great i I just can't every time i've read three kingdoms i've come back uh, out of it with more uh more you know uh devious plots and schemes and ways to to dominate the podcasting universe but uh Anyway, Virginia, thank you once again. Uh, I look forward to seeing you next month at New, in New York, and 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 it was great. I mean, it was terrific to have you here. And David, man, I'm so glad that you could spontaneously join this no, podcast. No, yeah, it's this great. has worked out very well, and we're and as as you know, representative of Yenjing Academy, we're very happy to have her here because she is the future of our absolutely. Of our we we are definitely want to. Uh, as we say in Chinese. And, and thank you for all, all for coming today. Let's hear it for you guys. All right. Thank you, everybody. All right. The Seneca Podcast is powered by SubChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Jeremy Goldcorn. Drop us an email at Seneca at SubChina.com. Follow us on Twitter or on Facebook at, at SubChina News. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, the Caixin Seneca Business Brief and the GGV996 Podcast, which comes out every other week and covers tech and investing in China. We co-produce with the venture capital outfit GGV. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Take care.